Kokafia Kai, Kafia Moana, Kafia Tangata. E nā reo e nā mana a nei te mihi mai o haki a koutou katoa ko Maraia Rakuraku tēnei. Ko Justin Murray tēnei, hara mai ki tō māua whare o Te Ahikā. Kia ora tātou katoa. You're back with Te Ahikā 2009. If there's one thing Aotearoa has taken to with great gusto, it's festivals. And during the summer, they are everywhere. Parihaka, Big Day Out, Rhythm and Vines. We'll be covering a few over the next few months, including the biannual Te Matitini National Kapahaka competitions and Te Hui Ahurei o Tsuhoi. Aira. Now those events will be huge, but nothing could have been bigger than that of President Barack Obama. I Justine, how's this for numbers? Two million people attended his inauguration when he became America's 44th president. And about 200 people had their own little celebration at the San Francisco bathhouse downtown Wellington, where we spoke to Tony Hopkins, an African-American who grew up in Washington, D.C., and one question we asked Tony is how Americans will respond to the new president. Who he is and how he speaks and how he carries himself is going to make a lot of people um, respond much differently, but as far as change, that's going to be a very slow process. It's going to be a very slow process. He tries. He's trying hard to make people realize that, because for some reason there's a lot of people that think he's a miracle worker, and that, and he himself knows that ain't what he's doing. If you've heard of kanga pido, kanga wai, or rotten corn, chances are you've heard about one of its more distinctive features. The smell can be off-putting for a lot of people, or for the majority of people, but you know, for our old people, they never turned. They ate it, and they would never scowl or say, "Ooh, stink! Ooh, yuck!" That's why you never ever did that with kai. That's a tikanga from way back. Lloyd Few tells us what else we can expect at the Kafia Kai Māori Festival coming up this Waitangi weekend. Before we round up this week's programme with a profile of the 2009 Parihaka Peace Festival Choir. Obama, Obama, Obama's in the White House. Obama, Obama, Obama's in the White House. Obama, Obama, Obama's in the White House. There's a black man in the White House. There's a black man in the big in November 2008, the presidential election was undoubtedly closely watched by the world. And it was Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision or dream that America would eventually have an African-American president. For this next piece, we have three different perspectives on the election. Sammy Holland, a Māori television reporter who covered the presidential election campaign last year in Washington, D.C. Teata Te Kanua, the editor of Māori magazine Tu Mai, who noticed Barack Obama back in 2006 via New Zealand-based African-American Lewis Scott. Who, with fellow African-American Tony Hopkins, featured at the Wellington celebrations. Where performances, poetry readings and music, not to mention specially designed Barack Barack Obama posters with the order of the day. And and where were you born and raised? Washington DC. Yeah. <laughs> and that's certainly been quite pertinent today, yeah, hasn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> Do you think African American culture and Maori culture have similarities? The, the truth was I doubt it very seriously. Basically because Maori has their own land that they felt they belonged to. They, they, they weren't taken from it. They had their own language that they still had, their own culture that they still had. I mean, they had their own history. Even their stories tell about who and what they are all the way back to Hawaii. <laughs> Black people going to America, Alex Haley was one of these people that could do it, but even him, years after Brutes, came out and mentioned, well, yeah, I did do a bit of elaboration. <laughs> because you have to. A lot of them, at those times, nobody recorded who was what. <laughs> nobody gave a damn what black folk, you know, balked each other and a kid came. And <laughs> nobody gave a damn about that. That was just those niggas over there. What did they care about that? Just being in, in Washington, D.C. was um, was actually a privilege and um, felt quite honoured, really. Um, considering what um, African Americans have been through, right from black slavery, just thinking about 
um, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. This was quite a significant um, occasion and um, um, just, well, speaking to African Americans over there, it's, well, of course it's amazing that uh, a family the same colour as them is, is going to be in the White House. I mean, that no one would ever, after speaking to them, they never thought an occasion like this would ever happen in their mm. lives. How do you think that will impact on Māoridom? Oh, I think it already has. I think without question, we have, he's given us a sense of confidence um, and enlightenment that yes, we can, and now we can say yes, we did. And um, so I think the impact uh, on Māoridom is already there. Uh, I think it happened in November last year, actually. Um, and we've just been looking forward to the party in true Māori style. Here at the San Francisco Bathhouse downtown Wellington, people have already begun to mock up. No doubts for expats, Kiwis who support the 44th American president. This morning at around 6am, Kiwis either watched or listened to President Barack Obama's inaugural speech. So now, the celebrations It's all about a celebration uh, of Obama and the opportunity for people here to be part of that. So we're wrapped with the turnout, actually overwhelmed, feel like I'm in Washington. <laughs> and so what were you doing this morning at what, 4.30am or 5 o'clock? Um, you know? I didn't get up um, early but I don't get sky so... I had to um, put up with local coverage, which I didn't think was was that great, actually. Um, but however, I am an asthmatic and found myself blowing up red, white and uh, blue balloons this afternoon. So, and, and kept telling myself, I'm sure Mich uh, Michelle Obama did this, so get over yourself. And didn't she look fabulous? Oh, stunning. Oh, yes. hey, 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 Don't, can't you see? I'm oh, trying to definitely. emulate that look. It's all an ensemble, the whole fringe to one side. Um, I think there's, there's actually a lot of people really inspired not only by Obama, but Michelle, because she just is a stunning-looking woman. And those gloves. My God, those gloves with her outfit today. She had, like, dark sage green leather gloves with a um, yellow ensemble. Stunning, stunning, stunning. As the editor of To My Magazine, right. how long has the magazine been going now? We established in 1999, so we're in our 10th year now. Um, and my connection to tonight is that Lewis Scott has been a... Um, long-time writer for me and uh, we have been credited actually with um, getting the scoop on Obama because he introduced him to us, to, to us and our readers in 2006 and I must admit even for me I was thinking what the hell you know because he was suggesting a black man was going heading for the White House but uh, so we've kind of nursed that journey and feel really proud of it. What's interesting is that the Wellingtonian and you know I, I'm appreciative of their uh, recognition, um, gave us front page uh, heading to say, but it said New Zealand magazine gets scoop on Obama, which actually that could mean any magazine. I think that it would have been more grabbing if it had read Māori magazine gets scoop on Obama. Now, that's news. And we're really proud of that. I know it's not about me tonight or the magazine, but, you know... Hey, hey we're, this, if, if, if I wanted to be associated with a party in town, hell, it was going to be this one. And Māori magazines are very far in, you know. Absolutely. There's, there's two? Only, yeah, there's only two of us. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're really, really proud. And proud for Māori, I mean, you know, I had the opportunity to talk tonight and just said he's, he's done it for coloured people across the world, including us. And I was very grateful to, for my whānau Mati Ray to do a mihi to open things off. So, you know, we represented tonight. <laughs> oh, kia ora Justine, um, ko Simi Holland ahau, tōku ingwa. Uh, ko tū hoe me whakatōhea nai we te taha o tōku mama, ko Ngāti Maniapoto te we te taha o tōku papa. I'm a 
uh, current affairs reporter for Māori Television's current affairs show, uh, Native Affairs. I've been there for a year and a bit. Hi, kia ora. Um, initially I started in um, news and worked for Takaya at Māori Television for a couple of years and then moved into current affairs, which is where I am now. And, um, well, before that I did a bit of print and radio, so I've sort of moved up the ranks. Kia ora, kia ora, Sim. So you were given the assignment basically as part of your Native Affairs mahi to cover the Barack Obama presidential elections. Now, how did you feel initially when the editor said to you, OK, Simi, we're sending you to Washington? Oh, I... (laughs) And be honest, what was your first reaction? (laughs) Well, um, I felt honoured. I'm not going to say I felt scared. I felt honoured and um, privileged to be covering such an occasion um, on behalf of all Indigenous peoples um, because we've all been through the same struggles and to go over there and um, and cover such a significant kaupapa was, was um, very uh, emotional, moving, um, and I felt I had a big responsibility sort of put it all together and, and get it out there to the world. But I, 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 I came from a different perspective from the likes of mainstream networks, i.e. CBS, CNN. I went to the people, to the grassroots, and um, got their perspective on things. The real perspective, I guess. And... Um, the other issue that I incorporated was Native Americans who actually are the people of the land in America because, well, they weren't getting any coverage on on mainstream uh, networks, radio, television. So even though they only make up something like 2% of America's population, they actually are the people of the land. Mm. Mm. And were you there the night when the announcement was made that he was the president-elect? Yes. And how yes. was that? Like, were you there at the in, in Chicago? Oh no, I was in Washington D.C. and I was with a family, an African American family, in their lounge, watching the election. <laughs> how was being there with the, well, the family? Yeah, the thing is, is that um, see, they this family held a sort of like a party for family and friends. They've never done it before for any election, actually. But, um, you know, of course this was the perfect occasion to have a big party and celebrate. So, you know, we sat there and watched the election uh, right to the end. And um, the the interesting part was there was a lot of first-time voters in that lounge. Never ever voted before. Never felt compelled. Um, So, yeah, in that sense it was... Big and um, there was a lot of emotion, crying, um, crying. Yeah, it was it was beautiful. Goosebumps up my back throughout the whole thing. So, as a journalist covering it, well, during when you're when you and your camera crew were out covering it, um, especially outside the White House, um, is it a frenzy like we see on TV, like CNN, ABC, and all sorts of indigenous channels over there? Like, as a journalist working in Washington. Did you get to network much, or did you get to view how other Junos work, especially on a worldwide scale? Yeah, funny you say that, because uh, we also visited a black cafe, and there I met, or actually we became a story, us covering the election. How did that happen? Oh, well, we were there um, just interviewing customers, and then um, she was a a black journalist from CBS television, so she was interested in, in our presence there. Uh, Māori television, so we we became a story as part of their coverage of the elections. Mm. Um, Any funny stories that you can think of that happened when on, during? Well, actually, thing? yeah. When I met Stevie Wonder, that was interesting because um, you know he asked for my business card. I gave it, and then uh, he said, "I'll call you in two days." You know what I said to him? Oh. You're all crap. I'm just a nobody. Why would you want to ring me? And he cracked up laughing and just <laughs> burst out laughing. And he said to me, no, you're not. You're noble. You're not a nobody. You're noble. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And I was kind of like talking to one of the uncles. <laughs> oh, 
This is Stevie Wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't actually treat it like, oh my gosh, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. no, not at all. I just didn't feel any of that. And I think that's probably what he liked about me. I'm not sure. So stay tuned for that uh, interview with Stevie Wonder uh, sometime next year. They say, long ago the people knew magic. They say that long ago in Africa the people could fly. They would just step right up into the air and spread those big, black, beautiful wings against that bright blue African sky and fly. Then slavery came. And the people were stolen. They were packed into slave ships like sardines in a can and taken across the ocean to the new world. And in their pain and misery of that long journey, the people forgot they knew magic. What's the meaning of the story? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a story that's been handed down by slaves to where is it, um, the idea of having magic, many, many people actually believe it because of um, the Angolan slaves, which they call them the Gula. They were, um, other African slaves were a bit scared of them because it was said that they knew magic. And so um, but they don't know which tribe this story comes from because it's been handed down so many, like I say. You know, one slave told it and another slave was sold to another place. They told it and the slave sold to other places. They don't. It's changed over time. I don't tell the way I read it. <laughs> so anytime you hear it, it will be a different way. So, um, so we have no idea where it comes from. So I don't, I, there's no uh, person accredited to it. But one of the other ideas comes out is that it's one of the ideas about be, being a code for running away, escaping, you know, come fly away. Toby was working the field when he heard the overseer shout out, hey, hey, you, hey, you woman over there, the one with that baby on your back, you better, you better carry your load right. And the driver ran over there and cracked the whip, kapow. Well, the sound of the whip woke the baby. The baby started crying. Well, just as the baby cried, it startled a raven that was in a nearby bush, and the raven took off. So just listening to your story and the meaning and yourself growing up in Washington, D.C., have you gone through many trials and tribulations as a young man in Washington, D.C.? Uh, I did grow up in the 50s, so I was part of that particular time. This is before Martin Luther King uh, came along to be one of the so-called leaders. And... Um, I remember the busing the uh, black kids to white schools in the South. Um, yeah, and, and being called nigger a few times. Um, at that time in particular, too bad, because there was, we, were, we outnumbered white people. Washington, D.C. was predominantly black, because that's where all the, where all the black folks came after the war, to get government jobs. So it was, you know, it was predominantly black. But we had no representation in Congress because we weren't a state. So, so it wasn't a problem for the white folks because they still had all the power. We just had the psychological idea about power because we had all the numbers. So, but they left us alone pretty much. They didn't bother us too much. <laughs> and the overseer spotted that and he just shouted out loud, probably out of more of irritation than anything else, but says, woman, if you don't keep up your load carrying that baby, we'll get the master to sell it off. Well, Sarah's heart froze because that was no idle threat. Sarah looked over at Toby and said one word, now. So what made you venture all the way to the land of the long white cloud? <laughs> As a storyteller, that's a heck of a story <laughs> because I didn't come directly here. What brought you to New Zealand? I say she did. <laughs> <laughs> she dragged your head, did she? No, no well, <laughs> you know? actually, we were coming to publish her first book. That was my second wife. There <laughs> go, first, second, yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, tonight, the uh, Barack Obama history in the making, the 44th president of the United States. Mm. Tell me, um, how has this impact on you as, as African-American and, and you personally? Mm. I was one of the, I, was, I was actually one of the people that got out of Washington D.C. when Martin Luther King Jr. was going to do that. I'll have a dream march. 
Because I thought it was going to be a riot then. This is 1963. <laughs> but it wasn't, of course. It became an incredible march and everything. When I was in Texas, I would join the Air Force. <laughs> one thing for me is I've never really... One of my problems was is that as a people, we were never united. Although it was always written down like we were when they call us colored Negro and African American, Black American, all the different labels. But they're, they're still not really. Toby nodded, laid his tools down, spread his arms and looked up and said those magic words which sounded something like this. Kum Kukulyali, Kum Buba Tambe. And then he stepped up into the sky and sprouted the beautiful black wings against that bright blue sky and started flying. Black people came out in their droves and voted, didn't they, Tony? They voted this is what I understand. for Barack Obama. Yeah, this is what I understand. You must understand, too, is that I have not lived in America for over 37 years. So um, I only know what I read, too. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. But do you have family in, in the States? I, I, have, I have what I claim as a sister, my brother, and my brother's daughter. The rest of them, everybody else is dead. Yeah. Yeah, my mother, my father, their mothers. I didn't know my father's father because no, we don't even know who he was. And my mother's father was Cherokee. And they were him out of town. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so what do you think Barack Obama will do to change? I mean, change has come to America. How do you yeah. think he will change America. Well, I, think, I think the very fact that who he, was, who he is and how he speaks and how he carries himself is going to make a lot of people um, respond much differently. But as far as change, that's going to be a very slow process. It's going to be a very slow process. He tries, he's trying hard to make people realize that because for some reason there's a lot of people that think he's a miracle worker and, that, and he himself knows that ain't what he's doing. It's not what he's about. And if you really listen to him, most people don't. They just, yeah, they just want to hear the Messiah. They just want to hear a leader. You tell them what they want to hear. So if he doesn't do exactly what they think he should be doing, they're going to fool around and knock him. They actually put him up on a pedestal and order to knock him down. Well, Sarah and the rest of the believers, they started doing the same thing, chanting those words, Kum Kunka Yali, Kum Buba Tambe. And they followed suit. And they're all caught up with Toby and started flying away to freedom. At night, among themselves, they started telling what they saw that day. And the next night, they told the story again. They told it to slaves that were sold to other plantations, and those slaves told the story. They told their children, their children told their children's children. And they told them how long ago, the peach knew magic. Long ago in Africa, the people could fly. If Barack Obama was standing in front of you right now, what would you like to say to him? If you could. Mm. I'm behind you, bro, and I've, you know, I wish you all, all the best of luck in the world. And like, um, as, as much as I hope things go well for you, I'd seriously say, hey, man, are you crazy? <laughs> That's one hell of a job you're taking on there, fella. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, thank you very much, Tony. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Kia ora, Tony Hopkins, Semi Holland, Kiata Te Kanua, and everyone that night. Ko Justin Murray Tenei. Ko Maraia Rakarakua Hau. Ko Tenei Te Hotaka o Te Ahika. From a population of about 500, Kafia swells to around 7,000 for its annual Kai Māori Māori Kai Festival. With the festival falling on this upcoming Waitangi weekend, it's expected those numbers may skyrocket to around 10,000. Ethiwi, this is a chance to take your puku by the reins and indulge in Kai Māori. Uh, kia ora, ko tako ingoa, ko uh, Lloyd Few, uh, no Waikato, no Tainu, Ngāti Mahanga. Uh, as a kaupapa set up about uh, five years ago now that uh, a group of local people, um, community-driven it was, um, got together and decided how could we theme kafia. And it took them a while to sort of settle on something. And the upshot of all of that was 
uh, why don't we theme it on a local saying, which was kāwhia kai, kāwhia moana, kāwhia tangata. And we took the kāwhia kai aspect of that, that proverbial uh, saying for the area, and we said, well, why don't we have a traditional um, you know, kai festival? Uh, we're not, we were unsure at the time whether they, you know, anybody else had attempted to do something similar. But, um, so that's how we themed it, and the whole thing was actually community-driven because a lot of people thought, oh, it must have been Marae-driven, but no, actually it wasn't. Just people from the community, and um, it's we've um, sort of nurtured the whole thing for the past. This is our fifth fifth uh, kai festival now, and it's it's we've never looked back. It's been that popular, and the good thing about it, um, all the hard work from our committee has uh, paid off. We got um, we got a mention in the Lonely Planet uh, guide as um, a must uh, visit place or Kopapo festival to visit for overseas tourists, and uh, was themed in the top 10 Māori attractions in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So, you know, it's all paid off the hard work. So we've got our little niche on the West Coast here. This year, because it falls on Waitangi weekend, which is a long weekend, Fridays being the holiday, uh, we're expecting a, a, a really good crowd. And given the Lonely Planet um, uh, uh, dig, we, we, you know, we're, we're looking at uh, something around that, you know, seven, eight, nine thousand 9,000 mark. What are some of the more unusual offerings that you have at the festival? <laughs> All of it. <laughs> okay. Um, we've, we've, there's a couple of stores with uh, kanga wai or kanga piro, which is the fermented corn. Now, that's the corn that's put in water? Yeah, it's steeped in fresh running water, um, yeah, depending on your taste. Uh, three three months, it's left in, you know, in, in, in a sack in clean running water. And um, after three months, you take the corn out, and then you sort of shuck all the um, all the kernels off, and you know you can cook it up straight away, or um, you freeze it, and, and it keeps on, well, you know, after six months. And um, that's a real, real crowd uh, pleaser because we find a lot of town people who don't have access to running water, that sort of thing, in the first place. That, that those those are some of the things that they look for when they come to the kai fest. Now it's got a very distinctive aroma. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been fermenting. The smell can be off-putting for a lot of people, or for the majority of people. But, you know, for our old people, they never turn their nose up. Kai is kai. And they ate it, and they would never scowl or say, ooh, stink, ooh, yuck. That's why you never ever did that with kai. That's a tikanga from way back. So, um, you know. My nanny used to call it porridge. Yeah. It's... And she'd pour cream on it, <laughs> well, and then would sit there eating it. Yeah, well, the cream's well, you know, it's been an addition over the you know last few years, but mm. it, it helps. Uh, make it more palatable for the for the newcomers to you know to have a taste. So we get a lot of people who who, who come out to the kai festival just to try those sorts of of kai. The other one is the koki, and the, and of course the koki is the liver taken out of um, either the fai, the, the stingray, or the pioki, which is a dogfish, which is a which is a type of shark, and the the the, um, the liver is taken out and uh, depending on on how fast or you want to prepare it. It can take a while to prepare, but um, you can take it fresh, uh, wrap it up in um, in taro leaves, and uh, bake it in the oven, and then apply it to I don't know crispy crisp bread or you know those um, uh, snack biscuits. It's uh, very similar to pate, although it does have a real distinct distinct smell aroma about it because of the shark oil content and all. I suppose, but that is a, a, a local delicacy here in in, in Kafia. I understand in other regions as well, but Kafia has sort of um, it's made it its own. So those are a couple of the, the um, several foods that will be on um, uh, sale, um, sort of more unusual type that you don't normally see around. We have we've got hoo hoo bugs. Uh, one whānau across the across the harbour, they <clears throat> they'll be um, bringing over hoo hoo bugs and you know that sort of thing. So we've got hangi as well. The thing difference with the hangi is that um, uh, they will be served in kono or roro, the uh, flax basket, and uh, we're trying to get away from the um, you know, the plastic plates and the um, uh, tin foil plates and that. So it's um, you know, we, we we're using a uh, a local resource, which flax is all sourced from the local region to serve the hangi up. So that's something that you know we're going to try and keep and make it distinctly. You know, the kafia kai fest hangi served in the kono. You don't see that happening now, but the kono. Do you find, Lloyd, that the people that are making the kai, are they preparing it traditionally? 
apart from say the kangawai, which is still you know you, that's only way too prepared is in running water, clean running water. You'll find with the corky now the, the you know that you bake it in the oven, whereas in the old days they would actually store it in the lining of the stomach and they sort of hang it on a tree. There's a, there's a particular way if you sh- if you grab the the tail and you shake it, the whole stomach contents of the shark comes out. Okay, so then you get you grab the head, and then you can you hang it up in a tree or hang it on the line, and it's left there for you know two or three weeks, and um, and then it's consumed after that. So you know um, nowadays, um, given the time restraints that people have, they'll they'll bake it in the oven. So you know those are while the, the the traditional stuff is still done, um, given the time constraints and what have you. You know, people will cook the corky in the oven, you know, which is okay. It's, it's still the same, you know, same product being produced. So, as part of the festival, do you have demonstrations of how to prepare the kai? Most of the stuff is prepared before. Um, perhaps, perhaps the fried bread. Now, we, you know, fried bread. Um, there'll be several stores that will be cooking fried bread as you come in to buy uh, your your mussels or something, your uh, mussel fritter or, or your kinna or your cream power that they'll be cooking the fire bread on site and, you know, they'll put it onto the bread with, with their plate and then you go away eating a, eating a hot um, fry bread full of um, cream pawa. Mm, yum. Um, just over anniversary weekend here, we had one whānau come back and they do this every year uh, and they have a whānau on how to sit and plate a kono. Mm. And they get everybody involved and they spend the whole weekend, you know, um, uh, weaving 300-odd kono. And, and, and it's it's about keeping hold of a, a traditional practice and that traditional knowledge being passed down to the younger members of the family. Right. So, you know, that, that's what's come, and if you like, an offshoot of the Kai Festival is that whānau are getting together to Wānanga. And, of course, when you get to Wānanga, you you know, you renew relationships and you talk about stories about your kui and Chloe, how they used to do this and that. So that's the whole thing that's, that's you know, come out of the Kai Festival so, so it's good to you know have that sort of traditional lodge still passed down, and it must have some positive offshoots for the wider community as well. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, every day we're losing people who have who have specific knowledge about you know different food techniques or how you gather this particular kai at a particular time and how you preserved it, how you you know how you cooked it and ate it. You know, all that knowledge is slowly being lost, and if it hasn't. If it wasn't for you know something like the Kai Festival happening, um, there are still bits and people, bits and pieces of information that are coming down, and it's being preserved for the you know for that particular hapu, that particular whānau. Because being where you're based, Kafia on the harbour there, your traditional diet would have consisted around seafood, neither. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, when Tainui landed here in the Kafia harbour, they, they decided to settle here because they found that the the uh, the bush was you know, full of birds, uh, full of different um, plant life that they could eat. And, of course, the, the, the kaimwana, and they could grow the kumara, uh, taro, you know, all those sorts of kai they could grow in, in Kafir because of its, its sort of temperate climate, and um, which was one of the main reasons why they actually, you know, settled here in Kafir. And it took them a few generations before they actually started to move away. Uh, but but for, for the main reason was for the, um, you know, the different that was available from the forest, from the sea, and what you could grow. So all, all those things were right here in Kafia. So it was a diet consisted of you know, birds you know, from the land, kai from the land, and kai from the sea. Lloyd Few, nor Kafia. Mariah, did Lloyd feel the festival could head the way of others, like the wearable arts, and relocate to a city, so from Kafia to Hamilton, to pull in even more punters and you know get more recognition? Yeah, I did ask him that, but no, not really. He feels the location, like the Hukitika World Food Festival, is pretty much what he reckons gives Kafia the edge, profiling not only traditional kai Māori, but incorporating tikana Māori. And with that, Kafia. And having now become a popular event on the Māori calendar... And scoring the write-up on the Lonely Planet travel guide of the top 10 Māori tourist attractions, there's no need to change what's working well for the Kafia community. Choice, all right. And at our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahika, there's some webpage links about Kafia and its Kai Māori Festival, and there's even some driving instructions on how to get there. Flash, eh?
From Kafia in the West to Wellington, today was Te Rā o Te Raukura. We were there and we'll have some of that goodness in our Waitangi special next weekend. Over the summer, I got to live a fantasy involving about 60 strangers, a very, very funny Pākehā man at an exotic location. So Mrs Murray, my full-form music teacher, and for all those out there who ever wanted to be in a choir or who, like me, were bummed out big time, this is for you. It's Sunday. I'm now making my way to the marae at Parihaka. Um, oh, nice view. We're supposed to be meeting over here for my practice. Now, I'm not actually sure what's happening because there seems to only be four people here. That is a pretty sad choir. Oh no, here we go. There is choir is inside. There's a night choir is inside to Paipo Marae behind the healing tent. Hello. Are you guys meeting for the choir? Yeah, these guys. Yeah, yeah these guys are going into the choir. What's with that sign over there saying the it's over yeah, there? Yeah, it's in the photo the Oh, okay. This is the healing tent. I think they haven't got a care. This is keeping with how I've always been with choirs. I am late. I'm just going to harass this lady now. Do you know, um, are you going to choir practice? Yes. Do you know where it is? It's just there. They're just waiting there. But, uh, but they just yeah. said it's over here now. Well, I recognise the man who runs it. So, oh, who's he? Um, he's got like a forward cap. See, he's just running around with his hands in his pocket. Oh, what's his name? Don't know. Okay, Don't <laughs> thank know. you. So now we are getting back over to the statue of Te Whitioroma, mate. But are you running the choir? My name's Mariah. I'm with Radio New Zealand. Right. Okay, how are you? Now, um, I'd like to record a piece on this. Sure. Yeah? Um, we, you know, we're going to be meeting down there in um, Te Paipai, just behind the healing tent there. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, That's do you want to tell me about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> my name's Stephen Tabner, and um, I was born in Christchurch, New Zealand. And um, I moved to Melbourne and got involved in lots and lots of music of one kind or another over there and I heard about Parihaka Festival um, so I've been involved in lots of different kinds of music but sometimes political music, music for freedom or for peace or whatever the anti-Iraq war movement and a big concert we did in Melbourne uh, and, and a lot of stuff over the years so there seemed like to be a natural meeting point between what my work and what goes on at Parihaka So is the choir going to be singing one of your compositions then? No, not this time. Um, we're going to be singing songs from South Africa and well, actually a song from uh, some songs from the civil rights movement and and also a song from which has been written in Hebrew and Arabic, which is a peace song, which we thought would be a good song to be singing at this point. So do you have to audition? No, no. It's oh, good, because I just got here. Yeah. Are you going to join? Woo-hoo. Why not? <laughs> Are you going to stand that close to me the whole time? <laughs> no. Oh, good. <laughs> um, yes, no. <laughs> okay, so um, she's just going to record if that's okay. We're just going to carry on as normal. And, um, and she's going to carry on as normal. And we'll all carry on as normal. Good. And we'll all be normal. <laughs> cool. Um, so let's, um, let's start. How many people... Uh, Are you here for choir practice? Yes. <laughs> Where have you come from? Uh, Wellington. Um, no, I'm Wellington. Were you here um, yesterday for practice? No, I've just been um, told that it's good to come along and um, cool. Yeah, have a go. So it's okay. great. So you don't have any wounds? Uh, my friend has. Oh, so. She might have to be my friend. Too. Yeah. Have you got the words? Hey? No, I don't. 
Okay. So when they, we need to find another friend. Well, that, she'll be coming. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully she's got the words. Panic. Here we go again, mouthing words. <laughs> Just like at school. <laughs> oh, God, he's got words. Hold on. Songs we might sing. And this is the song sheet. Yeah, this is the song sheet. And so there's a call and response. Just found out. Last no, we did two songs. We did a... Um, Two African, South African songs and um, a song from the US Civil Rights Movement. Um, yeah, it was choice. Okay. Um, That's how that first one goes. Damn! <laughs> that was impressive. Yeah, come on in, folks. Kia ora. Kia ora. Were you here yesterday? Yes. Cool. Okay. So you know everything already? Not really. You half are going to do the four. You half are going to do the three. One, two, self-identifying what they are. Yeah, yeah, right. I'll explain that in a moment too. Um, so what are you guys? Adam? What are you? Soprano. Yeah, what are you guys? There's a lot of altos. <laughs> and you guys are? The basses. If you're, if you're having any um, trouble working out what part you're in, then the parts go in this order. The basses, which is going to be pretty much men. Then the tenors, the next lowest. Then there's the alto. The soprano is the highest. But if you're a girl, you might want to try the soprano. Start in the soprano and then just keep moving down until you find one that you can sing. <laughs> That's uh, one possible way. Okay. So this is the sopranos, right? Come on, mate. Come on. Oh, are you practicing? Are you practicing? Practicing in the choir? Yeah. We are. And how are you finding it? Oh, stimulating. Amazing. It's cool, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you look like you're having a good time oh, too. Oh, I love it. This is beautiful. This yeah? Is, this, is what, this is all about peace and music and, yeah, just so having a good you, time. Why did you end up shuffling around to the back for that? Um, because the people that were there yesterday know the songs a little better, so it helps when you're behind um, to just kind of support the people in front that haven't really heard it so much. Yeah. As opposed to standing in front and then you just kind of hearing yourself, so... Just support, back support, I guess. Yeah, and is this the first time you've come to Parihaka? Yeah, this is my first time here. And how are you finding it? Oh, I love it. It's beautiful. So have you beautiful come from people. the States or do you live yeah. here? Yeah, I'm from the States. I've been living in Wellington, going to study abroad there. Now, did you know anything about Parihaka prior to you coming here? Not prior to coming to New Zealand, but I have a friend um, that was telling me all about it, all the raves, so I had to see it for myself. Yeah. So, yeah, it uh, hasn't disappointed at all. More Aww. than I expected. It's beautiful. So what's your name? Cheyenne. Cheyenne. Kia ora, Cheyenne. Kia ora. <laughs> That's us in the tunes. Savuma. Savuma. Sangena kwamanya mazwe. Sangena kwamanya mazwe. Lapo kungazi. Lapo kungazi. Konubaba no mama. Konubaba no mama. Slandel in Kululeko. Slandel in Kululeko. Savuma. Savuma. Sangena Kwamanya Mazwe. Sangena Kwamanya Mazwe. Lapo Kungazi. Lapo Kungazi. Konubaba no mama. 
As you can see, from the Gena, it's the same as the previous phrase, so it's really almost the same. Sesingena kwa manya mazwe. Sesingena kwa manya mazwe. Sabuma. We'll do it with the bass and do it quite slow. Sabuma sangena kwa manya mazwe. La pukunga zikonuba no mama sangene kuru. So I'll just follow that crew over there then. Oh, boy. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. Are you guys going to join the choir? Yeah. How come? Are you reliving something from school, eh? <laughs> no, it's, it's real fun to sing together, eh? These songs are awesome and the um, choir director is lots of fun and, yeah, opportunity to sing. Yeah, after school you, you don't get so many opportunities. So. It's a bit like going to the dentist. Yeah. Hey, it all fades away oh. after school. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's so much nicer than the dentist. <laughs> so where have you come from? Auckland. First time at Parihaka? It is, actually, yeah. And how are you finding it? to be here. It's great. Good music, good people, you know. Good vibe, eh? Yep. Now, why is your mate hanging out behind you? Doesn't she want to come forward and have a cord at all? It's a party hack away, Fiona. What's that? So, you're joining the choir as well? Yeah. Just, yeah, feel like having a sing. I'm a teacher and I really enjoy singing with the kids. So oh, cool. I finally get to sing some songs for adults. <laughs> lots of people that don't know each other coming together and doing something that they love and big smiles, lots of fun. <laughs> How many people do you reckon are here? Stephen's quite a character, isn't he? <laughs>
Panihaka Peace Festival Choir. Sounds like it was fun, Mariah. Sure was. Choir master Stephen Tabiner was hilarious, very relaxed, and the choir really reflected the vibe of the festival, accepting, non-judgmental, cruisy, and we sounded hot. Not bad for a few hours' work with people you've just met, and talk about making choirs sexy. And on that note, we're ending this week's programme with one of the songs from Africa at our website, radionz.co.nz. Tiahika, there are the words, and you can podcast the show after. And next week we're with another Parihaka Festival goer, one of the members of Omeka Supreme. O kāwhia kai, kāwhia moana, kāwhia tangata. E ai ki, uh, ki ngā tāngata okonei uh, <coughs> nā te nā ngā mātua tūpuna tēnei kōlerui i, uh, i whakapuake mai e whakamārama ana te āhuatanga o te noho a kiroto mai o kāwhia moana. O te kupu kāwhia, a kei te kōrero, o te maha o te kai o roto i te moana, o runga hoki i te whenua, me te maha maha hoki o te tangata e noho nei kiroto mai o kāwhia. Nā te mea ko tēnā, a ka puta mai tēnei kōrero mo te rohe nei ara ko kāwhia kai kāwhia moana ara kāwhia tangata. No reira tēnei a, a hau, a Lloyd Pew tēnei e kōlero hiake nei, tēnā tātou, wahuri. Waitangi Day, next Friday at we do something that celebrates your place here in Aotearoa. Justine will be at One Love celebrating Bob Marley's birthday with the hundreds that gather in Wellington while I'm at the Kafia Food Festival. Fly those flags. Wear those t-shirts. Kinga kai kōrero, me te kai rā wiki wiki mihini a Phil Brownlee, nā mihi. Hei tērā wiki, mai te whānau a te ahi kā ki a tātou katoa, Mauri ora tātou katoa.